0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network oh it's a goal you've got the assist who got the assist
1: Hello, oh, so a game week featuring perhaps the harshest binary between the haves and have nots I think I've ever seen it comes to a close with Anthony waving his Irish flag as Michael Oberfemi scores late in stoppage time at Old Trafford, once and for all, consigning Harry Maguire to trash status. Well, yeah, what a week fans, Sterling, Antonio, and Jesus owners, plus Martial people, too. Though for the rest of us, not so much. Joining me to pick over the wreckage, the whole crew is back together again and Anthony returns to the pod and, of course, Nick, too. Nick, you're right.
0: Hey, mate, yeah, I'm alright, thank you. I feel like we're really starting to hit that butt end of the season, aren't we? And uh, had a similar butt end score this game week too, which we'll uh, digest in a minute. But just to remind people who we are firstly, we are who got the assists. Um, we're on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL for Tom, at WGTA underscore Nick for myself, at FPL Stag for Anthony. And we're also on Instagram, WGTA.fpl. So yeah, we're joined again by Anfonio after illness saw him red flag last week. Um, how are you?
2: Hi, that's uh, good to be back again on a lovely July evening here in Ireland's real capital, uh, Cork, my home, my home place. Um, but yes, unfortunately, you did miss the last pod. I was just a wee bit sick, had a bit of a headache. Um, someone seemed to think that I had coronavirus online, which was funny in the Twitter DMs or mentions. But yeah, no, rumours of my downfall were indeed exaggerated. So, look, we'll move on to the agenda of this pod anyway. Uh, we'll start off with the market forces and our game week reviews, as per now these days, and then we're going to look at and discuss hindsight, and judging decisions by outcomes, and the world of FPL in general, and how people seem to assess how they've done week by week, how they assess players, etc. Then we're going to move on to our standard listeners' questions, and then we'll look at our own teams, transfers, captains, etc, etc. But first of all, let's start with the week Review,
1: and it's a week Review like no other, isn't it, Tom? Yes, it's one like no other, because it's one where you have beaten both of us soundly. Um, yeah, the grin on Anthony's face is boyish in the extreme. Um it start with me first. It's a, uh, the the fall after the pride of me this week. I mean, I can't complain because of how well uh, last week went. This week is back to earth with a bit of a bump. It's 45 points, which is uh, not fantastic. Basically, things didn't go my way in the the way that last week things really went my way uh the key point scorers were uh, vardy came in got seven points the guy that sold him got eight but it was a lucky pen all right it was all about resulting in a minute um mares got an assist and fernandez got an assist oh and dean henderson at the back as well uh, got an eight pointer the biggest victory of the week craig dawson three points he feed the bonus uh but really i, I love the perfect justice of this week compared to last week Last week, I was sitting around hoping that Kevin De Bruyne didn't do anything and he only got one assist in the game. This week, um, my captain, who was the high-owned player like Kevin De Bruyne was last week, only got an assist in the game. So, yeah, 45 points. I think I've got like a a slight red arrow, probably 10k down to, I don't know, 110, 115k, something like that. But compared to where I was not very long ago, I'm not going to quibble with that too much. Uh, Before we get to Anthony and his uh, his gloating kind of spree, let's uh, take Nick first, shall we?
0: Yeah, sure. So you might have seen on Twitter that I had a pretty uh, rubbish week. In the end, I managed to score 35 points, which is uh, pretty damn terrible. I mean, it started off reasonable with Aaron Cresswell, of all people, keeping a, a clean sheet there, which was only dampened slightly by the fact that Twitter was awash with all the people that got the Antonio for um, for goal haul. But after that, things just really sort of descend quite quickly in, into what felt like a farce. Um Mane was being kept out by Nick Pope, who, who put an absolute storm of a performance in multiple times. But of course, Pope actually managed to get himself yellow carded in last minute, which someone calculated to cost four points because he would have got free bonus if he hadn't got that yellow card. Ended up getting no bonus at all and matching uh, Ben Foster. So that was a bit frustrating. And obviously, Mane was my captain as well. So to just see chance after chance get squandered is very, very frustrating. Uh, Pulisic blanked and then it was the City game where De Bruyne did absolutely nothing in a 5-0 victory and Mahrez only got a solitary assist whilst Sterling called. Uh Wolves up next, two Wolves players sitting on my bench with a nice 8-pointer and a 6-pointer didn't come on so I didn't get any of those Lovely points, unfortunately, from Jimenez and Size. And then uh so the happened. He was on for a clean sheet. It oh, seemed, I forgot um, you
1: owned him. Oh my word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> taken away with uh, you know, two goal deficits and a very reckless um, red card. Um complete idiot there. And Bournemouth ended up scoring four in that game, and it was a minus three contribution to the previously reliable man. Um, and then it was fine in the United game. And I felt like a little bit because I didn't captain Bruno, I kind of got away with. More damage, more collateral damage to my team there. Um, Rashford managed to pick up a goal and possibly one bonus. Um, but uh, Greenwood did nothing, so yeah, not my best week. Um, I think it's the gaps now only like three or four points somehow between me and you. I don't know how that's happened. It was about 50, oh, it was actually yeah, more than 50. It's, 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 50 it's last week, week. It was about 17 to last week, I think, at one point in the last couple of game weeks, and now it's only. Four points so yeah open open season here finally i hear you had a, a really good week for a change uh, uh, look forward to hearing about it anthony go for it like look
2: really good is an exaggeration like look i i didn't have raheem sterling i didn't have Mikel antonio i got 60 um, points net 68 actually so i took a minus eight and basically i got rid of the real dross in my team which was Harry Maguire, and Nketiah also got rid of Riyad Mahrez as part of a move, basically, to get in Tony Martial, Jamie Vardy, who I captained, and good old Terry Lamptey, who is just a very cheap enabler on my bench from Brighton. So, look, 68 points or 60 points overall takes me to the top uh, three quarters of a million. So we're really uh, pushing on this season. But look, realistically, um, Martial coming in was a big thing for me. Captain Vardy obviously expected that to go an awful lot better. And I guess when you make your transfers and restructure your team with a view to making a captaincy decision and it turning out like it did with Vardy, that probably isn't a success. And realistically, you know, the only success would have been to bring in and captain uh, Sterling, but that was it was never on my agenda to be perfectly honest with you. So I'm I'm quite content really to have got as many points as I did. It's it's been a crap season. It's nice to have a good week at least once, but um, I'd need quite a few more of them to have any sort of respectable
1: rank come game week
2: 38. Yeah,
1: yeah. as I said I think it's just it was a good week to have a good week. And same week last week was. But I mean for this one particularly I think the average is gonna be very, very low. Um I mean, as you probably have heard, none of us three had kind of the the Holy Trinity. I think maybe you can probably put Marshall in actually off the goal, assessment three bonus tonight of Sterling, Antonio, Marshall or Jesus. None of us had those. Any of those four. Um, if you had one of them, you were probably on for a green arrow. Two plus, and you were really you know rocketing away, weren't you? And uh, I guess to assess how the uh, how the player base is reacting to that quadrumvirate doing very very well. Uh, Nick, market forces. What's going on?
0: As you said, it's, um, it's Sterling and Antonio. Um, that did particularly well this game and of course they're being bought in their droves so over 100,000 transfers now for Raheem Sterling who, who turned up with hat-trick Man City obviously some fantastic fixtures to close the season off with Bournemouth for Norwich um, obviously a lot of people um, looking at him there and Antonio with a four-goal um, game, you know, obviously Watford up next as well, playing out of position, a lot of interest there, 65,000 transfers in, the time recording for him, so I think there's no surprises at all, those guys are being heavily bought, I was a bit surprised actually by the third and fourth most transferred in players, This Ings with 62,000 transfers in, and Mason Green with 61,000 transfers in, mainly because they were only just playing. And like, I was just surprised to see so many people making these early transfers before the Manchester United-Southampton game. Um, and so, I mean, you can see that sort of thing generally at the beginning of the season, obviously, when there's a lot of, you know, like what I'd call potentially casual gamers. But, um, you know, this is the kind of tail end of the season to see so many people making the early moves, especially when you're probably not too worried at this point about price changes compared to the beginning of the season where you're trying to chase the rises. That I found that a little bit odd to see those guys. but. You know, you, you can understand why they're being targeted with Southampton's remaining fixtures and United's remaining fixtures as well and, and the players' form. And then I, and finally... I, it, is no,
2: it is no surprise that Greenwood is in there, though, maybe just throwing in just because people are just trying to free up value to get Sterling into their sides. Like 11.8 is a pretty steep price tag, really. So if you can bring in a now 4.9 Greenwood, that's going to give you an extra bit of cash to make that happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's just surprising that people couldn't wait until tonight oh, you know of course, waiting until the football's over before they made the move and yeah Jesus who Tom mentioned um, heard us on the pod probably decided to show us up with a, a goal and a two assists he's also been performing pretty well in the underlying stats so he, he rounds up the, the top five in terms of transfers in and um, In regards to the sellers, it's it's, Swinshu. Obviously, he's uh, suspended now, 120,000 transfers out. Though it didn't seem like there was any particular defenders that were really being bought in, no one in the top five. The most transferred in defender right now is is John Egan with 45,000 transfers in. A lot of people obviously saw his couple goals. I think he's going to score week in, week out. Maybe we'll address that a little bit later. Um, Tarko with 37,000 transfers in and uh, Luke Dean, uh, 26,000 transfers in, he's a bit more expensive but Everton have some really nice fixtures and also Equator, 25,000 transfers in, another interesting one, um, but Chelsea have Norwich up next, so people looking at that specific fixture probably and thinking Equator could potentially get some returns there.
2: Yeah, in, in truth there's some serious outcome bias there I think in particular with John Egan, I think that uh, nicely ties in with what we were talking about a bit later on the pod as you said
0: Yep, exactly. Uh, Rounding up the uh, sellers, it's the Liverpool guys that are being heavily sold. Uh, Sadio Mane, 55,000 transfers in. Salah, 54,000 transfers in. And uh, Alexander-Arnold, who started on the bench, uh, been a bit quiet recently, 52,000 transfers out. So clearly a lot of movement now um, towards selling Liverpool assets, especially considering perhaps they've got tougher fixtures to come with Arsenal and Chelsea up next.
1: Well, I mean, none of that is surprising, is it really? I think that we're going to, probably going to see maybe some movement this evening, I guess, after uh, after the game. But with a 2-2, I guess it's going to be Martial seeing some upwards thrust after, uh, after all that we've seen. Let's move on to the main topic this week, which is going kind to of, uh, go psychological a little bit. After a kind of below-par week for Nick and Anthony full of regret for the course of the season, I suppose, uh, plus <laughs> that kind of chasing points in the market forces, all of, all of that sort of got us thinking about decision-making. And how we perceive of it. It's also inspired by the question that we got from FPL P A T S D last week about this and kind of how we perceive of bad game weeks and perceive of things going slightly wrong for us. Forgive a bit of self-indulgence um, on our parts here and congratulations to those captaining slash owning, sterling, Antonio, something, something, something. Hats off to you. Hopefully you'll find this useful. So the key theme is how do we judge decisions? As Anthony mentioned a second ago, uh, outcome bias is the first thing to talk about here. Uh, just to introduce this and explain it to you, outcome bias or p- resulting in poker is something I've mentioned a few times. And it's perhaps the single biggest thing outside of hindsight, which we'll speak about in a little bit, I see happening in how FPR managers respond as game weeks go. Simply put, outcome bias is the tendency to evaluate the quality of the decision based on the outcome rather than the thought process. So people who succeed at the end of a game week in FPL terms are assumed to have made better decisions than people who failed. In life and in FPL, this means that people who made the right decision to be cautious and not risk it, because that works the majority of the time, but failed are punished a lot more than those who took irresistible risks that happened to work out. So for example, captioning a mad pick that most people would never even go countenance. Uh, there's one good study on this, which I've shortened, truncated in abridged bridge for you guys, which used a legal case to ask subjects whether a city, um, this was a UPenn experiment, should have done certain preventative actions like flood risks. When exposed to the evidence the city had at the time, so before they knew a, a, an event had happened like a flood, only 24% of people felt that they should, the city should have invested in flood protection controls. But when exposed to the outcome, that this action was supposed to prevent, this rose to 56% of people saying that they should have invested money. So it's just basically the impact of knowing the outcome and using that to judge the decisions that have been made. Outcome bias then, guys. Do you see this often in the I'm guessing the answer is yes, because we spoke about this earlier on. <laughs>
2: It just kind of screams bloody Twitter to me. That's what it screams. (laughs) It's just like, the the fact of the matter is that every week you're, and you kind of, and I think we maybe internalize it, you're you're either an idiot or an absolute genius, depending on how your picks um, do. And I, I think... This game this game week was a pretty good exercise in that. And it's the, the contrast between how Mo Salah did and how Raheem Sterling did, of course. Salah having hauled last week would have been a popular enough captaincy pick going into this week. Sterling, of course, was coming into form and obviously absolutely delivered one of the biggest performances of his season today, or this weekend. But the fact of the matter is, is that Salah had as many big chances as Sterling. Um, Salah had more shots in the box this week than Sterling. And there was a forty point swing there if you captain Sterling compared to Salah. So it's like it, it is unfair when people say that, you know, someone who captained Salah or had Salah made the wrong decision. The fact of the matter is, is they didn't necessarily it just didn't work out that way. But it's just typical, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I certainly think it's it's typical. I mean I I kind of tried to look at this from my own personal experience this particular game week and I do certainly think you know I'm, I'm not going to look at my decisions and think oh I would I'd make certain decisions or other decisions if if I had the, you know obviously the outcome bias here and ultimately I think you know um, I think that's mitigated to a certain extent behind my logic I think if, if my thinking was sound I'm not going to beat myself up too badly about it for instance like I'm quite Happy with the fact that I took uh, didn't make any transfers at all this game week. It made sense with the lineup I had, with the strength on the bench, and it's just unfortunate. For instance, that the guys on the bench didn't come on because I've got one pointers from the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold or or Mane created five chances and and couldn't you know score any of them at all. It was just there's certain unfortunate elements. And the exact example, obviously Manchester City assets. Backing them, the logic behind that was sound. It just turned out that other Manchester City assets delivered on the day, playing Soylent True against Bournemouth, Operation Target Bournemouth. It was a sound decision, I believe. I, I, I wasn't aware in expecting him to do his best Karate Kid impression and get him sent off in a fit of rage and end up with a minus three pointer there.
1: Yeah, so angry Farquad uh, really going at it, wasn't he? Um, yeah, uh, so I asked the Twitter about this as well. So we asked, how do you judge how well you've made decisions in FPL? Uh, 20% said by the thinking slash approach. 31% said by the result slash outcome. 38% said a combination of both. And almost 10% said I never dwell on the result. So the winner was a combination of kind of thinking and the result in terms of judging how things are going on, but notable that kind of uh, almost a third um, take result outcome to be kind of the key reason why. And there's obviously a a few good reasons why, like if you look at some of the responses or points to points at the end of the day, one person said, another person said, real life isn't adjusted for luck, which again, that completely makes sense. Those are valid points to make. Um, But I guess to shift on to kind of how we evaluate these decisions I think what Nick said there was really personal in that if my thinking was sound, I'm not going to get too upset. The key thing for me in terms of evaluation, decision making is peace of mind. And I've gotten a lot better over, over the time I've been doing WTA at making my decision and closing the door behind it. Like I'll happily reevaluate the decision in the cold light of day. But it's often a futile exercise, I think, to apply full-on regret to the decision-making process because often, as Nick just said as well, I, I trust i the right thing uh, and the right thinking uh, behind the decision I've made and I recognise the sense of outcome bias. I'm not sweating, for example, the fact that I'm one point down this week by throwing out Jimmy, uh, who got a pen goal and eight points for Vardy, who got seven points. I'm just not going to regret that, to be honest. And I, I guess most, most importantly of all, like, if you have this sort of sense of peace of mind I don't think there's, there's so much about making the right decision or making the wrong decision. It's more about kind of the, reframing the question, I suppose. It's not about asking, was it the right decision? It's more about asking, are you happy with the decision you made? And another thing to say here is that I more, more often than not make sure I weigh the impact of luck or randomness quite highly in FPL. So a lot of people dismiss this, um, it's worth noting, as being an excuse for you know, poor outcomes or if you've done very, very well, people say, oh, you know, he just got lucky this week or she just got lucky this week. But I think FPL is fundamentally about putting yourself in the right position to get lucky. We've all watched a lot of football in our lives, amplified by the recent orgy of football on our screens. And that's really concentrated this luck sort of thing to mm-hmm. me, the randomness thing to me, you know, from... Way back in uh, Euro 96, Gascoigne missing that sliding chance versus Germany, all the way to Aubameyang being gifted two goals versus Norwich. And Salah missing that TA assist uh, this weekend. Things can be so damn different. Things are just a tiny bit different. So I, I think that it's probably always useful to ask yourself a different question, which is, are you happy with the decision you made, rather than beating yourself up about it being the right or wrong
0: decision?
2: Yeah, like, as you say, I was kind of considering maybe those margins and maybe the sorts of things that, you know, the thinking or approach, let's say, that we use to justify our decisions, which I guess in my case this season hasn't necessarily worked out, but in theory should work out because, you know, you've done your homework and you should then get the points. And I think I was thinking of, let's say, how poorly Liverpool's defence performed in the opening game weeks of this season. I think they went at one clean sheet in approximately like 10 game weeks. Alisson, of course, got injured, but they still continue to have an absolutely brilliant XGC. but nope, couldn't keep a clean sheet for the life of them. There's these penalty-reliant players that have had a streak lately. Bruno Fernandez is one. He's obviously been an extraordinary signing, but the fact of the matter is, is he's been fortunate sometimes to get the hauls that he has, and it's been because of penalties. De Bruyne, similarly. Uh, Jamie Vardy and the whole of the Leicester team in fact outperforming their XG for half a season like you, you can't necessarily legislate for these minor things kind of going one way or the other and of course you would have been right to have Vardy in your team but equally your thinking wouldn't necessarily have been wrong if you didn't have Vardy in your team for quite a few weeks at least I think there's, there's a point where the momentum is such that you probably can't continue to ignore him though.
0: Yeah, I think another example there of those sort of penalty takers is William, of course, as well. He seems to be really thriving, I guess, in the absence of Eden Hazard being on all those set pieces and penalties. Yeah. And you could say, oh yeah, we we, could, we should have seen this coming potentially. But William, this is a player that had been in the Premier League for. For seven years and never scored above about 140 points or so so you know the, the logic we still feel like the logic was sound there in terms of saying oh, this is not perhaps the best asset to, to select from especially when you had the, so many other assets available in midfield
1: yeah and I, I think the willy wagon is probably a, a really good example of, of that and how things sort of revert right so what can we learn from all of this? What can we learn from all these experiences? I think recognising these fine margins or the role of randomness in sport and fantasy sports is really important. It creates variance, so deviation from an expected mean. Think about it as a pendulum swinging toastly between three points. On the left, toastly against you. In the middle, sort of matching your expectations or stats expectations at least. And on the right, totally going your way. And what makes it swing is down a lot just to randomness the player being in the right position the contact being perfect getting that nice little nick off the post rather than hitting the defender and going wide as i said fpl is a lot about putting yourself in the position to get lucky and again this isn't me hiding behind luck as a catch-all there's many things that managers can do to improve things such as guarding against overthinking over management which we've spoken about in the past we try to control this as often as we can through careful planning and research analysis and we all you know try to make sure that we're trying to get in our positions to get lucky as I've been saying but often we are just at the mercy of fine margins as I found out to my joy last game week as Nick's found out to his chagrin this and and maybe as Anthony has throughout this entire season but the fact that you've kind of put that kind of good thought and put that work into what you've been doing and it's just not gone your way shouldn't mean you beat yourself up because of the day you've done the work it's just not really worked out for you. And a good question here as well, Uh, Martin H asked, how can we tell the difference between the avoidable blunder and sheer bad luck? Because is everything down to luck? I don't think so, right?
0: We can't say that every decision you make is unlucky. There's there's certainly such a thing as making a bad decision or or making a bad transfer in FPL. Perhaps, you know, an example um, from current situation maybe would be, if you had made that move where you were going to target Harry Kane or something like that and then taking the minus four to, to bring in Kane and sell Salah, perhaps that would have been considered more of a blunder than bad luck. We've got memories of Harry Kane. We've got memories of his fantastic performances in the past. We know what he used to be like a few seasons back. But we also, the reality is we're aware that he's not quite the player he used to be. Spurs are not quite the team. They used to be, unfortunately, and and then that was very indicative of that form of performance where they didn't even register a a shot on target, which was just horrendously shocking. And Harry Kane was playing that role of centre back. You know, we the kind of the writing was there a little bit in terms of the previous games where he'd been playing as defensive mid or centre back, wherever you know, and not getting forward, not making those runs he used to be doing. But I think that's that's one example, perhaps, of a, a potential avoidable blunder or just if you do some sort of like rage transfer without thinking, obviously that could be a considered blunder. But I think, example sheer blad luck like, would be knowing which City or United player or Liverpool player is going to be hauling specifically that week. Is it going to be Martial? Is it going to be Bruno? Is it going to be Rashford? You know, we can't always predict it in the same with City and Liverpool.
2: You see, this is the thing, is that someone could shoot you down and say, why should you ever captain a City attacker, especially at this point of the season, considering everybody is so prone to rotation. And so, you know, it's then... <laughs> No matter what, you know, it's a matter of perspective, I guess. What is a, a blunder and what is just bad luck in that regard? And uh, th- these are the difficulties with FPL, and I guess that's why you you people listen to this podcast and listen to other podcasts and read the news and read the Twitter and look at Ben Dinery's feed to try and figure out as much as you can to give as much evidence and as much weight to every decision you make. And sometimes it just doesn't work out, or Often it may not work out. And sometimes, do you know what? You can have a season where everything just goes your way, and that's just the look of the draw. And so, the most you can do is, I think, as Tom says, try to create a situation where you're just happy with your decision and try not to uh, dwell on it too much if it goes poorly.
1: Yeah, that's it. It's, It's all a matter of perspective, as you nicely put it. I mean, I'm not too keen to look over past decisions pretty much ever. Uh, maybe I'm, I'd be option four on the Twitter poll. I just going to close the door behind it and forget about it. But if it's gone spectacularly wrong, so something, you know, like selling uh, Salah pre Bournemouth last season, I will look into it because I think that's probably just good practice, isn't it? I mean, in these cases, you know, Andy Bastable said in response to the Twitter poll, it's very hard to overlook a bad outcome, a hugely bad outcome and to evaluate how bad your thinking was, if that's the outcome, which is fair enough to be honest. I do believe that. Um, but I guess in many ways you can you can always put something down. You can always put it down to something else if you want to and avoid responsibility, and that's very helpful for some, you know, to be blaming Twitter experts or something like that. Uh, in reality, of course, we can never know the outcome, uh, which is what makes FPL so exciting and Moorish. As those big wins are cherished and really make up for the deep lows in those sort of bizarre sort of moments that we get in playing this game. But yeah, I guess if you're still listening to us, uh, well. At this point in the very elongated season, you're well versed in these sorts of things. Uh, Just moving us on then to hindsight. So hindsight bias, or the better name I came across in research, um, creeping determinism. It's better known as the I knew it all along effect. This is basically linked to hindsight bias, but it's a commonly observed behavior, we all know. If People's act like result was more predictable after the fact than it was at the time. And a really fantastic uh, example of this was, uh, I posted this on Twitter, and I'm sure you won't mind me naming him, and my friend Graham, um, he spectacularly, spectacularly benched Antonio this week. It was his first bench. And uh, yeah, he sent me a statement to read because of how bad it was. And um, he said, if you look at the players, who could I have dropped? paper and all. You know, <laughs> <Yeah. like> <laughs> signature <laughs> just, like, just over WhatsApp. <laughs> but he said, if you look at my players, who could I have dropped? Salah, KDB, Fernandez, Pulisic. Um, so that was his midfield. He had Greenwood, Ings and Jimenez up front. And he just said he basically couldn't find a way to fitting Antonio in. And he said, you know, that's my statement for the pods. And I still maintain that it was a good decision to to go that way. And I said back to him, basically, I'm I'm not sure why you'd have signed Antonio if you weren't playing him against Norwich, because when are you going to play him, basically? Do you guys think that that's an element of hindsight a little bit? Sorry, Graham, but I'm not too sure that that's quite uh Yeah, I, I think that that's probably a bit of a mistake, I'm afraid. I think it's easy for us to say with hindsight, isn't
2: it? And that's the problem. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, double hindsighted. Yeah. He said it. <laughs> Sorry, had to do it. But of course, like he's he's a fe- like great. He's named my midfield from last week that I was very happy with. So it's like it would be very hard for me to say like, oh God, you should definitely have tried to find a way to drop one of those midfielders or those strikers that everybody owned and these are the risks i think that you have to take from time to time and so do i understand his logic yes but at the same time as you say tom if you're going to invest that much money in your fifth midfielder and have the strike force that you have what are you doing and who do you have as defenders at that point and that then feeds into the the way that fpl works which is trying to utilize your budget to m- make the most points across the team and i'd that's where there's an error here and it's not necessarily in the selection this individual week it's the selections and the transfers that have led to this position where he had to bench Antonio
0: Well, yeah, I think that's the situation I've ended up in a little bit because I've benched the wrong player two weeks in three so I benched Greenwood and I benched Jimenez and I I remember actually talking about um, bringing in Virgil van Dijk and I ended up going a different path on the pod so perhaps I should have followed my initial thoughts there rather (laughs) than Listening to the advice of my esteemed colleagues, but uh, never mind. Uh, I think it's very unfortunate for Graham, but I think we've all been in similar situations, there, so you have to feel for the guy. But um, we also had a question from Benny Blanco who said to us Is it ridiculous that we all didn't buy and captain Sterling this week? And that is definitely a question asked with the benefit of hindsight there, because I think, you know, looking at the facts, many of us had De Bruyne and Mares already who had been excellent servants over the course of the season for their owners and it would, you know making a sideways move there could have easily blown up in your face. Um De Bruyne and Mauriz actually had better points per game at that particular moment in time. Sterling was just having he wasn't he's not been having the best of seasons, to be honest. Had pretty patchy form compared to the last few years. Um particularly I didn't notice that particularly in terms of like his transgression and assist stats. So he's only he's only assisted five um Goals this season compared to fifteen last campaign, seventeen the one before, and fourteen the one before. And by contrast, Mares had um, thirteen assists and De Bruyne twenty-one assists. And in that game, you know, De Bruyne created five chances, Mares created four chances. Could have easily gone slightly different route there in terms of the overall points, as we've already discussed. So I think definitely an element of hindsight. You know, we'd all love to have owned Sterling, but he was a bit too expensive, really, to fit into our teams. We had other City assets that were cheaper and what we consider better value.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, there were obviously like the late riser, and big man, Bakar who made the Salah to Sterling swap. And again, kudos, um, really good. I mean, it's, it, it's a blind spot maybe for a lot of us, you know, over-focusing on bringing the likes of Vardy in. Salah had just gone big and he was the obvious route, as I've mentioned, to Sterling for many. And, uh, I think that after a player that had a huge haul like that, he makes makes himself a bit unsellable, doesn't he? Um, Should we have looked at him a bit more? Should we have done that? Or is that just hindsight telling me? It's easy to tie yourself up in knots, isn't it? I mean, kudos to those who sold Salah. But if you look at the match, and if you did watch the match, and you've looked at the data, Salah, 1.22 xG, two big chances, four shots on target, three key passes. You've got to be thinking very, very unlikely not to get anything there. And Nick, who unfortunately captain Mane, one sellout status that he had a 0.65 xA and created two big chances. And watching the game, he was very unlikely not to get anything. If those happen, and stern doesn't score big, he had an xG of 1.31, so not a million miles from Salah's 1.22, scored three goals, maybe he scores just one. This is all a bit moot. So maybe it's an example of outcome bias again, uh, but it's completely true, of course, as uh, as I mentioned earlier on to one of the responses to the poll, that real life and outcomes are not adjusted for luck. So, yeah, um, as Stag said earlier on, that 50 point differential is is really huge and really quite stark, isn't it?
2: It's, it's just sickening because, sorry, I'm now self-indulgent, but... I sold Salah two weeks ago and this happens like, it's like I sell Salah he gets his haul and then I didn't even bother bringing in Sterling I brought in Mares, who I was unhappy with it so I sold him and I ended up with bloody Tony Marshall. that worked out okay but over a two week period you end up down 40 or 50 points and like on paper none of the decisions are necessarily wrong and you can you could have said God if I brought in Sterling a week earlier I would have been very lucky because he came off the bench and got a golden assist or whatever but you could say oh but he's just a talented player so that's of course you weren't lucky you just brought in a great player but he's been crap for about a third of the season as well (laughs) so it's like you know I think framing as well is a pretty big aspect of how people look at their decisions and other people's decisions and we could tie ourselves up in knots all day but it is at that point just hindsight
1: Exactly. And then uh, chasing points, I guess, is what this leads on to naturally, because if you're dealing with hindsight, should you be paying attention to what's just happened and using that sort of hindsight to inform decision making? So Adam at FPL Patients, uh, name checks out, I suppose, asks if we should ever use hindsight to chase points and inform my FPL purchases. And I think that the answer to this is yes, at times. I'm not going to get into discussion of what form is and if it exists, but sometimes if a player has scored for a couple of weeks in a row and has form for form so think about how we'll all regard Danny Ings next season if he starts scoring goals then it might be a good idea to jump on the bandwagon and fully embrace it and maybe this is more about bandwagon than the bandwagon effects um like, you know, the aversion to bandwagons as well is certainly there and you can see it in a lot of people when they say when they talk on or comment on FPL Twitter and often we get a warped sense of chasing points because of FPL Twitter's weird influence on in our perceptions so, for example, again, congratulations to you all. But my timeline this week was absolutely chock a block with Antonio owners, Antonio Capsoners, Sterling Kapsiners, uh Jesus capsners, owners of all three. You know, everyone I thought had 100 points. Looks at my rank. Oh, my rank had barely moved. In fact, I had a green hour on Saturday from 25 points when people were posting scores at 80 and 90. Um, it was only Jimenez who actually did any damage to me yesterday. So, the reality is, obviously, what you see is an intensely, acutely focused outcome and i'd say don't get too over over focused on finding the next differential sometimes like if the player is looking hot in your judgment um for ice eye, eye tests the stats don't get too hold back by thinking you're purely chasing points jumping on the bandwagon obviously some things are like Jordan egan buying him was jumping on the bandwagon to stupid effect but sometimes with these things you've got to be able to make a, a good decision and um, and i think maybe as you'll hear in my transfer captions this week uh buying my him sterling may be something that i will be jumping on what do you guys reckon to that should we ever chase points is chasing points even a thing
0: i think it yeah it goes both ways doesn't it you know you you sometimes feel like you are chasing points if you bring in a player who's just netted a hat trick but then you, you see other managers being stubborn and, and you know saying i'm not i'm not going to bring in this player now um cost fallacy, isn't it? Where like, you know, if you missed out on the hatchery, that's it. I'm not playing Sterling. I'm going to stick with the players I've got and stick with the tools I've got and hope they deliver the, the following week. But you do, as you said, uh, you know, the market forces shows that there is way too much chasing points going on. We've seen John Egan sort of appearing in that top 10 two weeks in a row, row now and it reminds me a bit of um, Yannick Vestergaard at the start of the season oh, come humanity. game in five when hundred and ninety six thousand managers transferred him in, and then the following week one hundred and sixty eight thousand managers transferred him in off the back of basically a goal against manchester united and, and not much more else so um you know you do see these sometimes these scenarios where people just bring in these players or sometimes with Steve I think a Stephen Ward that season where he rocked it all the way up to about five point four million or something people <laughs> yeah, the Irish flag is out again just because of um you know a few bonus points and a couple of assists, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I think you can chase points. But some, I think chasing points makes sense in some circumstances, but can be taken too far in certain other circumstances.
2: I can only echo that, I think, but I would say that someone who's, um, you know, what you could say is chasing points is actually just, you know, buying form, and in that case, then it's totally fine. So there is an element of sense and an eye test obviously required to whatever form you're buying into slash points you're chasing. So, you know, if you pick players who are flashing in the pan, Dom Solanke, uh, Dogo Jota, uh, Fabinho, then of, of course, like that's probably chasing points as opposed to buying form these players aren't going to continue but then maybe FPL sometimes is being able to recognize that difference that sometimes occurs let's say in the Etienne Kapo zone where a player just there's a tactical change that means that a player who has never before been seen to do this sort of to deliver attacking output consistently does so for a short period and then is never heard from again
1: yep is he Mo Salah or a load of Capou? Final question then, how do we make better decisions? I think probably an easy one to round off. What do you guys think then? As a man who is in the next decision spiral, uh stack what are you doing to get yourself out of it? <laughs> I think I've actually
2: transcended the spiral at this point. I, I now just accept. The <laughs> Nirvana of <referred> yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I just accept how I am and that's fine. And I got a green arrow as a result, maybe you might say. Um, no, one thing I would like to think about is that I think that the effects of hindsight bias, I, I'm just going to call it the Twitter effect, etc., really affect me in particular when I'm selecting my game week one team and twice a season when I'm selecting my wildcard teams. You can really get into the group think and basically set yourself up poorly if you let yourself you know be the architect of your decision making i guess at that point if you look at twitter too much at that point you end up basically trying to you end up trying to take back control of your team for weeks on end through your transfers to maybe let's say have the team that you're happy with because you felt like you had to Cover that this defense because so many others had them, or you needed to have this attacker, so you just budget wise screwed yourself over across the whole entire team to make a compromise. Just make sure that you were happy about that five accounts that you saw on Twitter that happened to have Mohamed Salah in their team. When really, you would have preferred Saadi Omane, for example, as a game week one choice, and then secondly. Something which I haven't consciously done before, and maybe you'll say, Anthony, this has been FPL, this is how the game works, how have you not been doing this before? I'm probably going to make captaining midfielders my default position from now on, because the fact of the matter is is that when the luck comes in, you get more points, you probably get more bonus points, you get more points for a goal, and there are just more midfielders who score in the league year on year than ever Before it seems like there are very few poachers of the Aguero or Danny Ings variety left and even the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Raul Jimenez, even Tony Martial now seem to have become much more playmaking in their approach to the game and this is definitely all with a view towards feeding midfielders and the fact of the matter is is it doesn't seem like we're ever going to see Mo Salah or Sadio Mane reclassified as forwards so you might as well just really cash in and just keep captaining midfielders and screw captaining forwards.
0: Yeah, I liked your um, your slogan there felt very much out of the Charlie Metham school of thought to take back control uh, but I think the only thing I could think of perhaps is just to try not to Rush your decision making as much as possible, and it's it's quite hard to do to be honest when we have these game weeks where we've got these very, very tight deadlines. For instance, it's going to be less than 24 hours until the next deadline, but you know, just make sure before you press that button to make that transfer that you've really sort of weighed up the consequences, you've you've looked at the alternative. Most of people who are listening know all of this already, but you you know, you've analyzed the fixtures, you've watched highlights if you've got a chance or even underlying stats not I know everyone doesn't necessarily have the time and day to complete all of those activities but to try and just spend a few minutes just doing that additional research and then that way once you've made that decision you you understand you understand why you've done it and you can back yourself and if it goes wrong it goes wrong at least you know that you've you know done your research as opposed to just you know taking a, a lucky hit and not really looked at other alternatives.
1: As I said last week my key things to do are. One, write down your initial decisions per week and see if I'm feeling the same uh, throughout the course of the game week um, in terms of the, the the transfer I'm going to make. In normal times, you may get screwed by price movements, so you may have to move slightly early, but normally if I try to wait until Friday. Um, you'll see that um, in, in most sort of places where outcome bias and hindsight bias are mentioned. So keep a rolling sort of uh, a log of how you're feeling and how things are going for you um, to try to mitigate against these factors. The other things I mentioned is don't make decisions under stress. That's a terrible idea. And if you get into a negative decision spiral, i.e., thinking, whatever I do, I do it wrong, try to stick to the same process. Um, as I've mentioned several times, you uh, have to recognise that there's a lot of luck and randomness involved with FPL.
0: Cool, right, let's take a break now and we'll be back with the Mini League update and the questions.
2: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
0: So we're back and let's uh, catch up with the Who Got The Assist Mini League. Now, Anthony, you have the table. What's going on there? Is it all changed?
2: Yeah, there's quite a bit of change in fairness. Um, poor old Mark Bird has um, definitely stopped flying. He's down from 9th now to 10th, having been, I think, up as high as 4th a few weeks ago. 67 points, minus 4, and even bench boosted. So that hasn't gone particularly well for him. Up from 11th to 9th is Sean B. His team, never forget, scored 67 points. Uh, Bruno Fernandez, captain, obviously didn't quite work out for him. Adi Mansour, down from second after getting only 47 points this week. Fernandez capped there as well, largely accounting for his issues. Daniel Ray with Salah Nkwaz he's still in 7th 62 points Martin Jansen is the biggest winner in the top 10 this week he's up from 21st to 6th with 99 points Sterling Captain obviously doing most of that for him, Jake Gallagher is down from first to fifth with Sheffield Wednesday, forty-four points only. Fernandez captaincy there again, and I think you're seeing a theme there in that I think it's a uh, eight of our top ten have captained Fernandez. Uh, MJ back up from sixth to fourth with his team, the Cops, scoring sixty-eight points, same as myself, but without any hits. Uh, Fernandez captaincy wasn't enough to hold him back. Uh, Alex Coates up from fifth to second or joint second, actually, his team Halarrat Me scored seventy-four points. Fernandez captaincy der. um uh, up from fourth to the joint second with him is Adam Warner. His team bury 94, 74 points. Fernandez captaincy holding him back, but still doing quite well there. And up from third to first is Nathan Wollaston's The Woolly Ones, 95 points this week. Sterling captaincy doing the biggest damage for him, but he also had the Doherty clean sheet. He had Sans 13, Marshalls 13, Raul Jimenez's 8, and uh, Bernard Fernandez's assist as well.
0: I was just laughing just then about your absolute butchering of Niswas. It's, it's a salad Niswas, not 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 a, not a nick yeah yeah, yeah from no. the, uh, I, I realized the pronunciation I expert of the group
2: <laughs> yeah no I, I I realized it after I said it and I was like oh hopefully I get away with this one but no
0: <laughs> oh dear. anyway um yeah well done Nathan um great week for you good to see you uh Top of the league. I think the website's still um, updating at the moment, but was overall ranked 16 at least at one point. So having just an absolute fantastic season there.
1: Jeez, yeah, um, amazing, really, and it's incredible as well in terms of those kind of really strong rises and those really stark fallers that the haves and the have-nots and the harsh binary you mentioned earlier on, having those players such an impact this week. Right, let's move on to the questions then. Uh, the first one. <laughs> Yeah, again uh, about the back. Uh, forget at the back. So the, maybe the final final evolution, is big at the back, the Typhlosion, the Charizard, is big at the back is maybe that's upon us. David Br seventy six asks if it's time to just ignore the defense and keep us all together. He says he wants to improve his defense. Yet he thinks it's probably not worth a transfer. What do we think?
2: It's probably not worth not worth it. I would say stick with the Charmander defense. Um, like the ceiling just isn't high enough there. Like, if you've three good fixtures uh, per week, then really you've no need to worry. Just you know sort the rest of your team out, pick up points from goals and assists, and get your captaincies right. That's really where the priority should be at this point.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I mean, I, I've got Soyuncu in my team, so I do feel like I have to make some form of <laughs> defensive transfer to to try and sort it out. So if you're in my circumstance, kind of makes sense to still think about the defence, but you know, looking at the sort of the rogues gallery of options available at the price range, there's really no one to get particularly excited about. I think if you've got a case where you've got the sufficient coverage like the Wolves defence already or Burnley or Sheffield United, then by all means just, just leave it for the end of the season and focus on, on the rest of your team. I mean, they're never the most exciting transfers and it's just if it's the pursuit of chasing a clean sheet, especially once we reach the end of the season where it's very, very unpredictable. For instance, we saw four teams in the relegation battle winning this game, we, then, you know, it's, it's probably worth leaving it.
2: Yeah, maybe good old David didn't actually tell us his team there, but I would say if you have a Man United defender, just like you're wasting a slot having a United defender as oh, uh, poor Tom is feeling there with Maguire still. I had to bite the bullet and sell him ahead of this game week. So I would say, yeah, probably free up that spot and get your Martial, Fernandez, Greenwood, Rashford, whatever, just make better use of that slot.
1: It's getting ridiculous now, though. I've got to take a minus eight to get rid of Maguire. I just don't think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to leave him there. In fact, I'm probably going to bench him this week and play Dawson over him. Oh, so I can't wait for the fifteen-point. Yeah, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's really, <laughs> really going to happen. But like, I, he's just—it's so annoying. Like, I just—I wish I'd, I'd gone that way. I just—I just thought you know the ninety-minute man thing. And to be honest, you know he's done all right in terms of clean sheets uh, over the course of the, the restart. Mm-hmm. I think he's logged free, hasn't he? Yeah, for Sheffield United, Brighton, and Villa. It's just, it's just, it's not happening, is it? No. Um, in general, I'm absolutely ignoring my defenders. And that's just because free transfers are so precious. And as discussed last week, oh, I don't really see any upside to buying defenders right now. Uh, the value is there over the course of the season, but it's very rarely there over the course of just three game weeks. An honourable exception may well be Alonso for one week. If you want to do it, so if you have a flush with money and you think and you see you know, there 's leakers out there there 's a, a rock star, of course there 's also a new one on the scene called scarface or something i 'm not too sure whether I believe in him or not, um, but uh, if they both say Alonzo is looking like the likely starter, he might be worth bringing him for that norwich game that 'll probably be the only one i 'd be vagued interest in bringing him over the price of Know, 4.5 million, like you know, the likes of maybe Lewis Dunk or something I'd be more inclined to bring in if I was doing a defensive transfer at the moment. It's, there's just no value there because there's only three game weeks left um, and it'd be better off using those free transfer somewhere else. Um, so David and anybody else who's looking at defenders, yes, it is the case of uh, forget at the back. Just move on to other other spots in your team as we've discussed ad nauseam already. Next question, Kun Karam. Uh, Karam, uh, who uh, achieved 106 points this week. He had Antonio Sterling captain, uh, all because I advised him, so maybe I should get some points as a donation uh, towards that free hit. Um, But he says, with three game weeks left for the season, uh, and many are playing something in their middle leagues, can we pick differentials from each position to help us climb the ranks? And similarly, Charles Hazel um, asked the same. Top three punts for those chasing in mini leagues. And um, this is quite interesting because obviously we've said bin off defenders and been off attackers. So it might be interesting to see what, who we've actually gone with. Uh, just to go first, because I always go last and you guys always end up taking the ones that I was going to say um, in terms of defenders, it's uh, Tarko Tarkovsky solid and he's got goal threat double up with Pope. He's good differential. If you're a Pope owner, Wolves Norwich and Brighton to end the season with in midfield. Two, I'm not going to bother with forwards because they're all terrible. Greenwood, plus one, you've done. Uh, David Silver, end of an era for El Majo. That basically means the end of it. Uh, Bournemouth, Watford, Norwich. And we're going to assume that Norwich game is going to be set up the Spaniard effectively. I imagine they're all going to be passing it to him, trying to get him to score, trying to get him to assist, trying to get him to do whatever. He'll be on all plays, all kind of penalties, whatever. The final one in midfield is Trossard, the Trossard wagon, I really like that. Uh, he was one who was beloved of the analytics crew um, earlier on in the season. They, really, they were really drooling over him. He had really decent numbers. Um, his numbers are okay, obviously, not revolutionary, uh, but a case of why not? I mentioned Lewis Dunk earlier, if you're really looking for a defender pick, he always seems to score. Um, but yeah, they've got Southampton, Newcastle and Burnley to end the season and look relatively safe. So maybe Graham Potter will be looking uh, to create some sort of crazy new pep-esque formation, pep-like formation for the next year. And Trossard looks like he's finally coming into his stride. So yeah, three for me, Tarko, David Silva, Trossard and Dunk in too. What do you guys think?
0: Um, so yeah, I think in defence, I, I actually quite um, was quite impressed by Kyle Walker-Peters tonight in terms of his performance against Manchester United. He, he was making quite a lot of attacking, darting runs and, and getting a few crosses on the, you know, England's probably should have been in the right place to, to put a couple of those away potentially. So I think I quite like him as a little bit of a differential picker, only 4.4 million and um, Southampton have Brighton, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, so they've got some Quite nice fixtures to close off the season. They're playing with a lot of confidence as well, putting uh, some good performances. So I think um, I, I quite like him as a little defensive pick in midfield. Um, I've well, I've kind of picked out Silver as well as the one that I have noticed um, as the best differential. It's a bit of a slack wagon there, but he's only four point seven percent owned. And with those Bournemouth and um, Norwich games, it's obviously if he's leaving the club. It feels like very much a sort of nostalgic pick just to kind of round off the David Silver era. Real. Um, you know, an amazing player that the Premier League was blessed to see over the past uh, five or six years. So, Silver perhaps in midfield. Um, and then up front, I just kind of, well, I just called out Olivia Giroud, maybe. Um, there was a bit of a bust-up, wasn't there, with Tammy Abraham and... Uh, Um, and Lampard supposedly and Giroud since um, the restart's been looking really really decent hasn't he 15 goal attempts um, which is sick for all the forwards and three goals so why not Norwich at home if he's starting you hear early he's starting then perhaps a a little bit of a buff perhaps a a little bit of a punt there Um,
2: Right so Defenders, We've been talking them down. I've talked about City defenders being an interesting pick for weeks. They probably have the best pictures, but at the end of the day, do you really want to be wasting a transfer bringing a City defender at this rate? Probably not. So I think um, good old Lewis Dunk, Tom's pick, was actually a pretty good one, considering that Brighton have solid, decent fixtures and he is a gold threat. In midfield, um, a troll for Nick, really, Stuart Armstrong.
1: Um, from oh.
2: Southampton great fixtures good goal against United great player isn't he Nick um, so I'd be considering him I do like the Trossard pick he was kind of my pre-season darling that didn't really um, pay too much dividends for me when he was in my game week one team but I do like the idea of having Trossard in your team but I, I'm not sure it's going to go well for anybody and we are officially in the Iosi Perez zone um, I know Leicester are crap Ooh, but you know we are officially in that zone at this point uh, the inverse for Charlison himself I think I, I expect something good from him at some point in these next three weeks and I'm going to call Gabriel Jesus uh, a differential and just annoy people and recommend him because I don't want to recommend somebody like I don't know McBurney or Deney or something so I'll, I'll just give you that one um, one thing about David Silva as a pick as well is he's unlikely to do a John Terry and walk off as a sub in the 21st minute which is at least something for everybody there but something to keep in mind as well actually only three of the top uh, eleven scores this game week were owned by more than five percent of in more than five percent of teams and that was one of those was Jesus five point two San six point five and then obviously Sterling seventeen point seven so there are big points to be got from differentials if you pick the right ones but that's the problem if you pick the right one.
1: Yeah exactly the differential lottery of differential roulette to point a phrase. Right, next question. Maler mainstream. Uh, Dhiraj Pandey is looking at, at the Liverpool midfielders after the game week. He's wondering whether, basically, either should be in our teams anymore. Uh, Nick Mane owner upset after captaining him uh, and having a captain fail. Are you looking to boot him out? We were saying uh, offline before the pod that you just realised that you had a route to Sterling there. Um, yeah. is that what you're seriously considering.
0: I hadn't really been considering it until that particular moment and I started thinking actually that is a really good route to Sterling because, um well my original kind of response to this question was just to remember how much Mo Salah loves Arsenal. Um he's in five appearances, he's had six goals and four assists against them. Which is more combined than any other Premier League club. So, Arsenal is basically Salah's favourite club. And I've got fond memories of actually captaining him against Arsenal over the past couple of seasons and getting some really big hauls when other managers didn't get them. So, that's my only comment in regards to Salah. Like, how many times have people been punished for selling this guy? Uh, But, you know, I do understand the appeal and the significant cash cow that he can um he can be to allow you to bring in someone like raheem sterling who's just got a hat trick and and got much better fixtures than liverpool have for the final three so yeah it's it's a risk is all i'm going to say
2: like it's going to end in disaster if you sell them because that's always how it works but at the same time i think on paper there are as we say teams with better fixtures there is a better way to use that money Um, both of them will probably explode one more time at least before the end of this week like as we were just pointing out I think twice if not three times on the pod the fact of the matter is that Salah had similar statistics to Raheem Sterling but there was a cavernous gap between the two of them in terms of points returned this week and that could easily invert next game week in spite of who both teams are playing
1: yep um agree with that I think actually as well like I know people are saying they've you know, got Chelsea to come um, and uh,
2: Chelsea like they can't keep a clean sheet if you paying yeah, exactly, them
1: exactly like it, it, <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of you know Arsenal and Chelsea you, you, if you're seriously sitting there and looking at those Fitch and going oh they're rid on the FPR, I'm getting rid you to be wondering really yeah like, really I mean mid
2: against a game against mid table Arsenal Oh, yeah. Like The fact of the matter is, if they, if he was playing against Sheffield United earlier in the season, nobody would have been too worried, even though they were above Arsenal all this time and looked much more solid defensively all year, you know?
1: Exactly. Well, two things. One, the FDR is completely redundant because if you, it's a five-point scale where they don't use point one and point 0.5. They don't want to offend anyone. So you've got a three-point scale, which is basically good, bad, or middle. Like What an absolute waste of time that is. Um, but anyway, Arsenal and Chelsea, meh. I mean, they're both fixtures in which you'd perceivably say on the other side they're going to go for it, which is going to be more space for Salah. Um, And also Chelsea are going to be fresh off the back of playing an FA Cup game on Sunday against Manchester United um, uh, before their game against Liverpool. And indeed, that could be a captainable game for Salah, actually, because he'll be, I guess, aiming for the golden boot, as the stated aim. So uh, I think maybe it's resulting a bit um, unfortunately Derage, I think maybe it is a bit um overthinky, maybe. Um, I mean if you seriously are looking to, you know, buy a Martial or, you know, buy um, sterling or something like that, then as Nick is looking at, that makes sense. Um but I'm not too sure it's worth thinking overthinking it too much. Like for context, I've got Salah in my team and KDB in my team. I'm basically just forgetting that they're there. Um, and I'm gonna leave them there for the rest of the season. I think that's gonna be the way it is. Um if you really need to move them on to accomplish some other goal that you're convinced is needed. Do it, but otherwise just don't overthink it. All right. Next question: Target Schmarget. Uh so Carl at coot FPL asks if Operation Target Bournemouth has now swapped to Operation Target Leicester. Uh, but really asks if there's any life in the Target strategy anymore. And friend of the pod Tak asks if Target Bournemouth is now dead. Um I don't know. I I mean I, I watched that game, um, the Bournemouth Leicester game. And I, I couldn't believe I was seeing almost in the second half. Like, I was it a fluke? Was it Leicester being really bad? Was it Bournemouth being really good somewhere in between?
2: Was it something to do with the centre back literally losing his mind for a few yeah. seconds? Yeah, maybe. maybe.
1: <laughs> like, it was really weird, wasn't it? I still expect City to turn over Bournemouth, um, but I guess maybe in hindsight, we connection uh, I, we should probably have presented Antonio as more of an option um, against Norwich and maybe we should have uh, ever...
2: I'd have totally done that if I was here you all know that though
1: yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, easy to say in hindsight isn't it um, but... But yeah <laughs> I think um, I'm going to be targeting Norwich with Pulisic um, leak permitting of course I and mean, it sounds like what Lampard's remarks were um, that Pele should be okay. So he said that he did take him off, off the a of minute against Sheffield United. But that he was, you know, affecting games in a good way, and he was very happy with him. So I think Pele should be my captain. Spoilers this week against Norwich. So maybe a Chelsea player, maybe worth looking at. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure they're quite dead in the water because you've got Man City next, and I'm sure that the market forces are going moving towards buying Man City players in. Um, And yeah, I I mean, it's it's more, as I've said, just a case of um, where you think the point's going to be. That's going to come against the weaker teams. And um, some people have said, oh, maybe Norwich are going to turn it around now. And because they're they're relegated, they're going to throw off the shackles of expectation and start to play very well. They're still not very good. If they
2: do, sorry, a bit of a digression, but if they do, is that not the most frustrating thing ever? Because they were such a good team at the start of the year. And you'd just be looking at them just like, what are you doing? Like I don't know if I'd ever buy one of their ex players if they came back into the Premier League next season. If that's how they do it, like
1: it's like that guy who comes into who comes into the office. He's very very good to begin with, and then he kind of tells off, and then he's moving on somewhere else, and then he's something really good before he's leaving because he's, he's suddenly really confident again, uh, or basically Willian around the around the time he's got a new contract coming up. Like Viduca. Um, yeah. Oh, what a player! Mark Duker is though for champion players. Um, yeah, no. Uh, as I said, it's it's, it's basically uh, Operation Bournemouth was I uh, maintaining a good idea. Um, as Nick maintained too, I think it's one of those things that um, it was a bit of a strange game Bournemouth and Le- and Leicester maybe fitting into the randomness idea that I spoke about earlier on, and um, targeting Bournemouth and targeting the likes of Bournemouth, so targeting Norwich probably still a good idea. So I- I'm probably not going to say that um, target is in the bin. Nick, what do you reckon?
0: Yeah, it was it was a bit of an odd game, it wasn't it? With all the teams that we've been discussing about targeting, the likes of West Ham or Watford, Bournemouth, and Nasta Villa, all winning. But instead, we saw like the teams that were on the beach this game week that performed really badly. In contrast, so the likes of Palace, the likes of Newcastle, the likes of Everton as well, um, all being really bad and. Norwich were really bad as well, and as you said, that's perhaps the one team we really should now be considering targeting. They are fully relegated, unlike Bournemouth and Villa, who probably harbour some belief that they still might be able to survive off the back of sort of four points in two games. But Norwich are fully relegated. Morale at that club's going to be rock bottom, and they've just been probably the worst team in the league. So you know, it's right that they're relegated. They've conceded the most goals now since the restart with fifteen. Um, and they've conceded most goals just generally over the course of the season and most shots and target various other stats they're right at the bottom for so I think there is a case potentially for targeting Norwich if you fancy to still try and follow that strategy even though it didn't work out for Tottenham masses, certainly didn't work out for some of the Vester assets um, I think yeah, why not go for a, a target Norwich approach in the next yeah. few games could work out effectively, Norwich are relegated as I said so they've got nothing to pay for and they've probably broken
2: as a team yeah li- little to add only just to remind people of that time that Newcastle dropped Spurs after they'd been relegated a few years ago just because it was funny cheers for
0: that <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> no problem yeah there it was is, a fine Alden hat trick or something wasn't
2: there? it it was yeah signed off his uh, his Newcastle career at the time I think with that
1: you know, Lad into all at home, didn't he? Right, and the final question this week: chasing Chelsea. Uh, so Ed FPR Rhinos has no Chelsea, so he wants to know if it's worth bringing in one of those uh, Chelsea players versus Norwich, uh, seeing as they have Paul and Wolves in their final two fixtures. And this is an excellent, excellent segue question, uh, which we always love and always try to look for um, to our transfers and captains. Let's take Ed's question first, and then we'll segue onwards very smoothly to our transfers and captains. Uh, so if you have no Chelsea, I think that. As we saw with West Ham, like most of us, probably have no interest in holding West Ham asset long term. Long term being three weeks, of course. Um, but probably it would have been a good idea to, I don't know, move Pulisic for Antonio in hindsight. But he said it again. Um, the reality is that if you are, <laughs> <laughs> it's like head butts his microphone in anger. Uh, but I mean, if you are, if if you are looking for a one week punt, obviously the Chelsea asset is a great idea. Like if you're moving up Mara's or something like that, because you're, you know, convinced that maybe Maros won't play as. Perhaps I am. Um, Maybe you'll be looking at Chelsea in some way, shape or form. If you've got Vardy or something, you see in Malik that uh, sexy man Giroud or Tammy Abraham, the Championship striker, are playing. Bring them in. Probably worth a one-week rental, but nothing more than that. Um, I mean, Liverpool haven't been too good at keeping clean sheets, but Wolves have been pretty tight. So maybe it is narrowly just looking over the course of a one-week return and then shifting on or benching.
2: Likewise with me. I think that realistically, given what we've just seen happen to Norwich, I think you would be silly not to have a Chelsea attacker. Obviously, Leak's permitting. I think Pulisic is probably the one to have. Obviously, Willian maybe has the um, form since the restart, if you believe in it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go for any of their strikers, even on a loan. I think that at best they seem to only play sixty, sixty-five, seventy-ish minutes, and I don't know if it's worth it considering their talents. anybody, anyway. But even with Liverpool and Wolves, after that, if you did end up stuck with them for whatever crisis that might break out in your team, it's a Chelsea player with Champions League to play for against, first of all, Liverpool, who will be you know quote unquote on the beach, perhaps, um, especially given that they don't seem to be putting in the maybe the success that we are getting the success that we expected them to have after winning the title to let's say push for these records that they were allegedly going to be pushing for I know you could say that Nick Pope was the only reason for that but they always found a way every other game before they won the title put it that way Uh, except against uh, Watford of course and then against Wolves like Wolves could be out of the Champions League race by the time game week 38 comes so it might not be the worst time to have a Chelsea player yeah I
0: think if you want to make a one week punt then I would definitely Target the William or Pulisic, I wouldn't touch the defence. They're absolutely horrendous, as you saw from the 3 0 drubbing that Sheffield United gave them. They've got a rubbish goalkeeper and Suman and Christensen. They're just not up to standards are they? So avoid the defence, even though it's, it's Norwich at home. If you're free hitting, then by all means get a Chelsea defender in, but otherwise, because of what comes next with Liverpool and Wolves, just don't bother. And yeah, I mean, Pulisic, William, great targets for one week, but it's a, it is a one week punt ultimately. Cool. So, should we move on then to transfers and captains and talking about Chelsea? I'm probably going to captain Piersic Um As long as I know he starts, I think it's just probably just give him a chance to be the captain and disappoint me on on a Saturday afternoon um, and ruin the uh, ruin the game week. So uh, yeah, probably going to go for that. Yeah, it'll
2: be a yeah, Tuesday night, yeah. They're all merging.
0: All the days are merging into one. I can't even keep up anymore. <laughs> I looked at it and I thought it was a Saturday morning fixture and the only game on Saturday it's a Tuesday sorry. so yeah I'm going to bring in Pulisic for some Tuesday evening disappointment um, as my captain in terms of my chances there's a few things I haven't really I've got to think about it a little bit longer before I make any decisions I had sort of plans to bring in Danny Ings maybe for Jimenez but I don't even know who I'd bench in regards to that move anyway so I'm probably uh, not bother with that I could do Managed Sterling I could do and Chu for some rubbish defender but I've got Cresswell playing anyway so I don't, don't know if that's worth it either um, oh, okay. so yeah I've got two free transfers going to do something I'm sure I'm not going to waste it am not going to burn it but I'm um, so yeah, probably going to only do one move give me two for, for game 37.
1: That's
2: Nick Nick confirms he's making a transfer. <laughs> Cheers! Uh,
1: Night in, knight in shining armor, Cresswell. I think yeah, that's worrying, isn't it? A worrying times so for everybody. Is, the most 2020 thing, I think. I've got Cresswell playing at least. Oh man, right! Well, some brilliant okay.
0: underlying
1: stats. <laughs> okay. okay, got clean <laughs> sheet. Got clean sheet. Highest point scorer in the team, Nick,
0: this week. Right, yeah, um, and third for chances created Alex <laughs> the since the restart.
2: With, with hindsight, that was a great pick. Actually, uh, right, one last
0: <laughs> one. Sorry.
1: <laughs> excellent okay so uh, what am i going to do so the dairy cracker asked what the hell are we going to do with Vardy?" and um, forgot to uh, where's that in earlier on um but this impacts my decency. Sometimes i was say it now. I'm considering getting rid. It was always going to be a one-week rental. Um, but I could be persuaded to keep now. A couple of confirmation bias pieces I could probably throw out there. So Vardy from Sheffield, who's a Wednesday Wednesdayite, um, according to Athletic, was playing football in, I don't know what they do in the North, play in garages, back alleys or something. Um, and he rustled Sheffield United fans last time. Um, but will he, will he be as up for it without a crowd? I don't really know. Two, um, feasibly Leicester will need to react against Sheffield United in order to keep up their uh, Champions League chase, I suppose. Uh, but Sheffield United didn't have to defend again. And uh, yeah, they're Madison. Nine no creation chances. Sheff- uh, Leicester looks an absolute wreck. So yeah, I'm probably not going to be falling into that one. Um, uh, so what I could do is get rid of him to Ings. And if I do that, I might as well just do Mares to Sterling while I'm at it. I don't think that Mares is going to play against... Bournemouth, I think he'll play against Arsenal and maybe be rested or get a few minutes against Watford. But I don't think he's going to play against Bournemouth. I think Foden will get the run out there. Um, and I'm only going to take a hit if I'm buying Raheem Sterling. Uh, Danny Ng seems like it's just easy. Buy him and uh, Brighton, Bournemouth next to. Yeah, very, very good. I could just leave Vardy in there, though. and I could do Ma- uh, Mahrez to Foden, who I'm fairly sure is going to play this week. Um, I don't know yet basically, I just don't know. It'll be a last minute decision and it'll be based on the league as well. So if Pulitzich doesn't play, it all goes out the window and I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll probably maybe use a transfer just to literally uh, probably buy another Chelsea player, a Chelsea midfielder who is playing for uh Pulisic, if he's not, I don't know. Uh, all, all down to Rockstar or that Scarface fella coming through. Um, the other thing I've got to figure out this week is uh, I have two spots actually in defence alongside out, TAA up for grabs. I've got Dawson, Taylor, Sice and uh, Maguire all jostling for two spots. I may play Dawson because I think a nil-nil for West Ham and Watford could Go a Massive goal threats, yeah, but a but, uh, nil nil could keep them both up, I think, is kind of how it is at the moment as well. So, they could have an Austria Germany sort of situation where they both kind of accept that a nil nil is going to happen. Um, and p- pass around in midfield, you know, descends into a Mark Noble, um, a, a capoo sort of pass around. I don't know. Um, uh, Maguire's absolutely toilet, so I could well be tempted to bench him and just play Sice and Dawson. Um, and as Nick mentioned, I'm going to mention Pulisic as well, pending the leak. Anthony, what are you doing?
2: More hits. <laughs> basically. Um, I have Vardy and Jimenez right now. I think I'm going to sell both of them to do something or another. I might even find a way to get Raheem Sterling into my team. Um, leaks dependent, I guess. If Pulisic isn't playing, I'm or if Pulisic isn't playing, I'm probably just going to go without any Chelsea attack whatsoever and probably upgrade his slot to Sterling, and then I'd have basically a a dump forward plus maybe Danny Ings or something And Raheem Sterling uh, We shall see basically Otherwise I might even go for the David Silva approach um, In midfield and improve things But if I was making one transfer It would probably be Vardy to Gabriel Jesus So I'm kind of keeping my options open But um, just trying to chase points effectively I'd probably captain Jesus as well if I brought him in
0: Sounds uh, like a bit of a punt there But go for it, why not? um yeah so let's wrap up um we were who 've got this thanks for listening again um and we'll be back next thursday for another pod in three days time
1: yeah i mean we'll be back um for thursday i think we're gonna it'll be the first time during the whole lockdown that we've recorded before the game week has finished uh, which is probably a bit of an achievement just because one i don't want to spend friday my friday night doing editing up until Maguire. Uh, screwed me over I didn't anticipate having players in West Ham Watford but I may well have one now Um, but yeah um, I mean we'll we'll see I think we'll probably get one out on Thursday so you've got it on Friday so you've got a little bit of time but I'm looking forward to the end of these night shifts and the end of these quick turnarounds in terms of a content creator although it has been fun uh, watching as a fan hope this the shooting game week 36 and we'll speak to you very very soon goodbye bye oh it's a
2: goal who got
1: the assist who got the assist Podcast Network.